0: This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning comic book store Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. And listeners like you, head to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or check us out at Patreon backslash TwoHeadedNerd. Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Podcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha in Caverns, deep below the metro area. It is episode 675, another landmark episode. That is a landmark episode, man. Of the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Book Podcast. This one is fully embossed, and it glows in the dark. I am your head number one. My name is Matt Bomb. Some of you nerds may fantasize about a big, strong woman that carries you to bed. Well... I married one and it helps, but I'm very short and Casey is freaky strong.
1: So she is she is freaky strong. She is a bit uh, she's Amazonian. I'm the internet Joe Patrick here at number two and I know for a fact that Casey would throw you down the stairs before she would carry you to
0: bed. Also true.
1: All right. In this Mean and Green episode, we're back to reviewing new comics from the last two weeks, and after that, we'll set you listeners up with our must-read picks for
0: next new Comic Wednesday. And then stick around for a sneak peek of our Patreon Extra, where the comic pushers return to set you up with essential She-Hulk reading that you will need if you want to know more about the Jade Giantess before her show's premieres on Disney+. Plus. It's all happening right friggin' now, and it begins with a real time in the ziggurat! Wow, so bad. All the
1: no. time. No. We've got quite a second comics this time featuring everything from secret agent ladies, dogs with swords, a bunch of dead mutants, and Riddler's brand new groove. Mm. Our review pile comes from the last two new comic book Wednesdays. That's uh for those of you keeping track, August 10th. Well you don't and have to are August
0: 17th. We're gonna do that in the setup next. Don't worry. Oh well. Yeah.
1: Are we? Because oh I see, it. I see it right here. Yep. All right. Our review pile comes from the last two new comic book Wednesdays and starts with last week, August 10th. Matt, get us riding here with a comic starring
0: all of the Ghost Riders. All of them. Everyone. Ghosts ghosts Rider? Maybe. I'm not really sure. This is Ghost Rider Vengeance Forever. Number one. It is $4.99. It was written by Ben Percy with art by Juan Jose Rip. Here is your solicit. Celebrating 50 years of vengeance. Can you celebrate vengeance? Whatever. I don't know. Johnny Blade's still I, celebra- I celebrate Vengeance's entire catalog. <laughs> Johnny Blaze, still reeling from his time in Hayden Falls, seeks the counsel of a seer named Necro the Tattooist, dumb, who uses his needle to bring dark truth to the surface. What follows is not only a wild tour through Ghost Rider's lost history, but also a warning about the future and an examination of the troubling weight of legacy. Why put out an annual when you can celebrate 50 years of ghost writing with a one-shot? That's what I always say. Percy has been writing I mean, Johnny Blaze. and an, an, Isn't an annual just a one-shot? I mean, it is, but it's an annual, and they used to be something. Now we just, like, throw out comics willy-nilly. That's my point. Mm. Percy has been writing Johnny Blaze on the current Ghostwriter series, but here he gets to visit ghostwriters of the past, the future, and take a look at some writers we may not want to remember. The tattoo thing was silly. And even though I groaned when I realized where the story was going, I had to remind myself this is a Ghost Rider story. And Ben Percy is celebrating everything you love about this character. And let's be honest, there's been some pretty silly Ghost Rider stories over the years. So the tattoo shtick not only makes sense, it works, and we get to see Danny Ketch and his '90s superbike, the Spirits of Vengeance, including the Purple Demon Vengeance with his chest tentacles. <laughs> the Ghost Driver. You know what, I did not remember he had chest tentacles. Yes, <laughs> chest tentacles that pull you into him. I mean, it's kind of like a rib cage that opens up I, to suck you in, not yes, really chest tentacles. Whatever. The Ghost Driver shows up. Ghost Rider '2099' is here, and even the Cosmic Ghost Rider gets an appearance. Juan Jose Rip gets to crank up the extreme violence and his style is perfect for it. Rip came up at Avatar drawing horror and even his early work on comics like Frank Miller's Robocop and their adaptation of Nightmare on the Elm Street was a step above the other Avatar talent of the time. He was made to draw a ghost writer, And you can tell he had a lot of fun working on this one shot. Vengeance forever celebrates the entirety of ghost Rider's 50 years warts and all. And there's probably not a lot of creative teams out there that could have done it better. I groaned when I started reading it by the end, I went, Oh God, I can't fight this. I love it. I'm giving it a buy it. <laughs>
1: I mean, yeah, it, it, it's silly, uh, you know, I, like Ghost Rider is inherently silly, though. I mean, like it's dark it, and it's oh, evil geez, for sure. Yeah, but yeah, it's pretty damn um, silly. <laughs> when I saw this one shot, I was like, oh, wait, I thought we don't. We already have a Ghost Rider comic. But yeah, and we do. Uh, But this uh, so this kind of anniversary one shot or annual or whatever you want to call it was kind of a weird addition to the to the uh, release list. But I liked it. Um, It's very silly. I Boy, I, I kept waiting the entire issue for those tattoos to fade and just be revealed to be like supernatural metaphors. (laughs) But no, he rides off into the distance, still tattooed, and I'm like, boy, I hope when Johnny Blaze shows up, he's not still covered in tattoos. By the end, they're fading out.
0: They show him, like, fading off his body. They're all still there, man. Trust
1: me. I looked, I looked, and I looked again. Um, Anyway, yeah, this was fun. It was goofy. You know who was excluded? Um, The female ghost rider that was around during uh, Fear Itself. And I don't know her deal. Like, I didn't
0: read her book. I think she predated Ghost Driver. Editor's note her name was Alejandra Jones, and she first appeared in Ghostwriter Volume 7, Number 1, back in July 2011, predating Roberto Reyes by three years, who first appeared in All New Ghostwriter Number 1 in March 2014. Yeah, she predated Ghost because Driver. Because Ghost all about Driver
1: this. had like a big high profile launch with like Tradmore on R right. and stuff. Um, but anyway, yeah, I, it was curious that like they excluded her, but like we got two stories about ghostwriters we've never seen before.
0: I mean, I'm looking at the last page and the tattoos have definitely left his face and they appear to be fading. No, off I think
1: by. he's only tattooed on half of his face.
0: Oh, no. He'd tell he's me he's not gonna be tattooed there's no tell me there's, there's no way, way they're okay. doing this right they're pulling a <laughs> they're pulling a pyro on the guy oh man um
1: <laughs> anyway all right enough enough time we can worry about tattoos another time uh for now uh this was a fun surprise it's a buy it i liked it
0: yeah it was great they call me ghost rider i am summoned when innocent blood is shed
1: and you have shed much of blood Ghost Rider. well let's trade in our tattooed weirdos for some sexy ladies <laughs> It's Parker Girls number one. But you know what? Just as likely to kill you. I'll tell you that much. Oh, yeah. Parker Girls number one from Abstract Studios. The price is $3.99. It's written and drawn by Terry Moore. And here is your solicit When Annie Graham's lifeless body washes up, Venice Beach. The nation mourns the loss of a popular actress. Police suspect her death was no accident, but Graham's husband, billionaire Zachary Lott, has the best lawyer's money can buy and the investigation stalls. That's when Tamby Baker decides to take matters into her own hands and enlists three of her finest Parker girl operatives to bring the Lott empire down, one shocking scandal at a time. Parker Girls returns to the seedier side of strangers in paradise the former question mark criminal cartel turned globe-trotting mystery organization now run by Kachu's half-sister Tambi I love Tambi one of their own has turned up dead in Malibu and it's up to the Parker Girls to see her killer brought to justice it blows my mind how seamlessly Moore has brought all of his varied stories together as a single universe which started off at, so we thought As nothing but an ill-fated weirdo romance. (laughs) maybe this was his master plan all along. I don't know, but somehow strangers in paradise exists in a world with aliens and superheroes and
0: demons from hell and
1: talking gorillas. I don't, I don't know. Either Whatever. way.
0: It's impressive whether he planned it or he just went, you know what? I'm going to mash it all together. It almost doesn't matter. It's equally. It doesn't impressive, matter. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. And like, I'm, I'm telling you that crossover
1: miniseries uh, that came out a year or two ago that we reviewed, I forget great. the name, unfortunately, um, where it's just like, yeah, it's *Kachu* and Tambi and also the dead girl from Rachel Rising. It's like, yeah, it's awesome. Meanwhile, in the tropics, another Parker operative is on a mission of her own, either protecting an assassination target or robbing him. Maybe both. More as an expert in storytelling and character development and watching the mystery he's created unfold, it's a treat. His beautiful black-and-white art is deceptively, you know, simple. Like, you look at it and you think, oh, yeah, I get it. It's a tree. It's a lady. Whatever.
0: Yeah. But
1: it's, uh, it's delicate and it conveys emotion and story with an economy of lines in a way that few modern artists can match. Like, when he's drawing Tamby working out before she gets that phone call... And she's just like got this scowler scowl on her face. and you see her from the back, and she's like covered in tiny scars. Yeah, And she's just like, that's all you need to know that this woman has been through some shit. Parker Girls number One continues the unlikely saga of the Terry Moore
0: shared universe. And I'm glad to have it back. This gets a buy it. Yeah, they're doing it better than the AWA one, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> <laughs> and they got aliens over there too. Five years was the name of the series. Definitely check it five out.
1: Years, yes, it in five years, yes. Because it was
0: five years. Five years it was going to be Nuclear Armageddon. Yes. So Terry yeah. Moore just keeps rolling with this stuff, and I'm fine with it. it, it like, and not to mention the fact that you don't need to know anything about strangers in paradise you know what
1: yeah don't worry about it notice the
0: solicit when i read the solicit they did not
1: mention anything about strangers in paradise no
0: he's been they're being really careful like this can be a new a brand new it's its own thing because it introduces the mystery of like well who the hell are these women and what what's going on here they work for the government like there's some the comic doesn't even mention Kachu. no not at all there the mystery is who are these women That's who, that's what's going on. And it's intriguing and it's really well done. And the art is great. And if you're not picking it up because it's a black and white comic, you're an idiot. Okay. I'm going to say it. Go pick this up. It's a huge buy for me. Faux show. Yeah. hundred percent agree. Enough of these hot bitches with guns. I want to talk about getting vengeance for your dead bitch. Mom, literally. I want to talk about samurai doggy. Number one from Aftershock. It's four ninety nine. This was written by Chris Tex with art by Santos with two T's. So, so is that Santatos? Santatos. Wasn't yeah. there another Santos that was just one name? No, there's Mark one Santos. T-? Who okay. Is,
1: uh, Mark Santos who did uh, Polar and um, maybe that's what I'm thinking
0: of. Yeah, it got turned into that Mads Mickelson movie. Here is your solicit. During the fourth war of the sun, a small dog named Doggy experienced an irreparable trauma. <laughs> his mother was brutally murdered and his eight brothers, still puppies, were kidnapped by a mysterious man. I mean, it makes sense I think he was a puppy, they were puppies. To save them, Doggy fought bravely against the terrible killer, but all his efforts were in vain and he was left for dead. What nobody imagined was that a technological vulture scavenging the region for corpses would be the one to rescue the dying dog from death scythe. Now Doggy has become Samurai Doggy. And his only goal is to quench his thirst. For revenge. It's written by Chris Tex, who worked on Blackout and illustrated by Santos, who worked on Land of the Living Gods, Blackout, and Night Shift. Samurai Doggy is a story of loss, revenge, and the journey to defeat the greatest empire of machines and robots that has ever existed. Nothing sure. big. <laughs> sure, you've bet Samurai Rabbits and Turtles, but Aftershock is betting, we're ready for a one-eyed samurai pooch! with a robot vulture the story begins with the brutal murder of Doggy's mom and kidnapping of his brothers who all appear to be normal dogs at this point yeah Kinda just like, like regular walking puppies. on all fours right the young Doggy is set on a path of revenge and finding his kidnapped siblings in a dust bowl gun and sword apocalyptic future populated by anthropomorphic animals of all species and robots when he grows up, he's definitely just like walking around like a person, <laughs> not a normal dog I, I
1: think it's because he's wearing a
0: robot body like uh, Kemlo the Hyperdog in Top Ten. I don't think so. He does have a if robot. If you look at his legs, he's got robot legs. He's got one robot leg. Like something happened. His other leg a, just a normal dog leg. But my, he, like, he's shaped like a person, though. I get it. I Yeah. So that's why I think he's just an anthropomorphic. I had my money on robot body, but lost well, I guess we'll see. It's a yeah. tried-and-true plot, and Tex does a good enough job on the setup. It's a tried-and-true plot, yes. <laughs> no, just a revenge yeah. plot. You killed my no, family, get, I'm coming it. it's to kill funny you. Though. Yeah. It's funny to think of it, all of the things you said as sure. tried-and-true. you just said it in there, you know. There is some particularly brutal dog violence, so if that's triggering, you've been warned. Santos is the real star here, though, with his smooth, flashy penciling. The opening flashback is mainly black and white and red, and much more cartoonish in style than the rest <laughs> really? of the book. When the story does jump forward in time, the color kicks in and Samurai Doggy's all grown up and looking particularly badass. Santos starts injecting graffiti style tags into his backgrounds as Doggy flies through the crowd of robots, slashing and blasting. The book looks really great. There were a couple of panels where the action got away from him just a little bit. like I looked at things and went, all right, I can't quite figure out whose hand that is but like it still looks cool (laughs) samurai doggy is a very manga informed anthropomorphic revenge story with a familiar premise and incredible art it's great for fans of tmnt maybe even naruto watch for santos's star though it is on the rise this guy kicks ass give it a buy it yeah i
1: thought this was awesome Uh, uh, look Let's just let's just get it out there. Samurai Doggy is a stupid title. It's, it's a terrible. Real title. Stupid. Yeah. It's not as bad uh, as the title we're going to discuss
0: later on, though. So. Yeah. Yeah. True. The story is great. Yeah. Uh, like whether it's simple enough. I mean, like they you, you I, add I robots think, and stuff, and it gets you know. I like, think ooh.
1: The, I I I I think the idea I like. Look, I am going to I, like. I'd be willing. Like, I'm not going to
0: put a nerd bit on it because it's a silly thing,
1: but like. I am fairly certain that we're dealing with a robot body situation because if they're just normal dogs, why if he grew up to be like a man shaped dog, why didn't the mom have a a, a, a woman shaped body? There's man shaped like dog.
0: There's other man shaped animals walking around. I understand that they exist. Like they're but they're all she, like that, I think. It's just like but the mom was, a dog was just was a dog. The adult mom was just a dog. I don't disagree and I don't know if something happened but they're definitely all robot body. Like, anthropomorphic when they grow okay, up.
1: It's Occam's it's Occam's Razor, Matt. The simplest solution is usually the one. <laughs> okay. Uh, and I don't think it's I don't think robot body is less simple than well he kind of turned into a man. <laughs> I'm not uh, saying it's simple or not. It, regardless, regardless, um, the action is super fun. The story is fast paced and exciting. I loved this. I thought it was like I didn't know what we were getting into. I thought it was a treat. This is a buy-it-for-me. The art, Santitos, two thumbs way up, buddy. Add some more tees to your name. You deserve it. Are you checking out to see if he's yeah, got a robot body? Yeah, he is body? not a
0: robot body. He has one robot leg. His other leg. What does the other leg look like? It's just, uh, he's wearing a boot. I don't know. It's How just do you like, know there's not a robot leg in there? It's, the other one is definitely metal all the way down. The other one, he's just like pants, it looks like. Do his hands look like paws or hands? One of them is definitely a paw, and one of them is a metal hand. Because like that scene where I was like, well, what's going on there? It's like a dog paw holding a guy's head down. So, I I All mean, right. I don't oh. know. I, I honestly, I don't know. But like, there's a pig character here that's definitely just a man pig.
1: Like, I understand that there are anthropomorphic animals. That's not in question. I'm saying the samurai doggy is not. So <laughs> yeah, why would there be morphing. anthropomorphic animals
0: and a normal dog? And like his sister, who I... I mean, I don't know. Why are there talking dogs in Disney and also dogs that you carry on a leash? I assume this is his sister, the woman that's like the pop star. And she's she doesn't have any robot parts. She's just a talking
1: nah, dog. No, man. Samurai Doggy
0: has two... Robot arms. I'm looking right at and it. And look at the hookers. The hookers are just animals. There's like a cheetah just and a at, rabbit. All
1: right. All right. You know what? We've gone off the rails. <laughs> yeah. If just look at the hookers has <laughs> yeah. entered the equation.
0: <laughs> I'm just saying.
1: I'm just, I got no segue after, after that hooker talk, we're going right into Love Everlasting number one. It's from Image Comics. It's $3.99 and it's written by Tom King with art by Elsa Charatier. That's the best I got, Elsa. I'm sorry. From now on, I'm going to be referring to you as Elsa. That's got to be it. I think you did. I think you nailed it. Chartier. Here's your solicit. From Superstar... You know what? I just said all that stuff. It's a new ongoing series set in a world as frighteningly fantastical as any found beyond the stars. Romance comics. Joan Peterson discovers that she is trapped in an endless cycle, a problem to be solved, a man to marry, and every time she falls in love, she disappears into another teary saga. Her bloody journey to freedom starts in this breathtaking, groundbreaking first issue. Well, it's definitely a first issue. I'll give them that much. Love Everlasting delivers an interesting tale of a woman forced into an Edge of Tomorrow-esque scenario. At first, I was like, it's Groundhog Day, but no. Mm -mm. It's got a specific trigger. Yeah. She is forced to endure life after life after life, except it's not death that hits the reset button, but true love. It's a fun idea, and Tom King is having a blast taking readers on a nostalgic tour of old, pre-hero, and Archie-style romances, and it is incredibly stylish, thanks to the strong work of artist Elsa Chartier and colorist Matt Hollingsworth. It tickles that part of my heart that used to be filled by Darwin Cook, and I really loved it. King spends maybe too much time on the novelty of the premise, at the expense of developing the plot or the one character that appears to matter. We got one character and we know nothing. But perhaps now that it's clear that Joan knows that something's going on, we will get that development in future issues. Oh, I, I trust that. For sure. I, they, I think but they, like in this first issue, it's like it's all just like reset, new story, reset, new story, reset. And then one panel of Joan going, oh, shit. Love Everlasting number one is a lot of style. Not too much substance yet, but there was enough of a hook to bring me back for more. I'm giving
0: it a buy it. I liked it a lot. I think there was good substance here in the sense that it's like, if you're going to do this and you're building this mystery, I don't want to see this play out for four issues. Like I didn't, I couldn't have handled three separate issues of these stories. I'm glad they smashed three into one. Yeah. So we establish something's going on and there's little hints. Like and I, and I don't want to give anything away, but there's definitely little hints where you start to go, "Oh, it's that oh, well, yeah, kind and, of well, story, I
1: guess." <laughs> and, and 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 it also helps that like unlike Edge of Tomorrow where it's the same day over and over, right. Um every time she resets, it's a different
0: kind of romance completely different yeah yeah now and and i think it's cool and i had a a lot more fun with this than i thought i was going to at first i was like oh yeah they're just gonna get right into it. This tom king he knows what's up and i was like oh no they're going full romance and it wasn't until like the second story that i went what was that little thing that just happened (laughs) you know like like they're dropping little clues here and there yeah like the cracks start to uh, right and i want to see where it goes but also when they say new ongoing series like can you see Love everlasting. Uh, I don't know issue thirty. <laughs> like, is it? Yeah, a, I mean, you that's know, my thing. Is, they it make, a, is it a premise that can go that far, or is this next a really wave? Good... Next wave
1: was an ongoing series that ended with issue twelve. I mean, that's so, true.
0: Yeah, that's true. So like,
1: like they make ongoing series in all lengths to these days. It's true. But yeah, I, I get your meaning. Yeah, yeah, it's like don't brand it as a mini because then we'll be waiting for the end. Waiting right. for
0: the end. So I'll give it a yeah. buy it. Um, I do think it's very clever, and the art is fantastic. And friggin' tastic. And I do want to see where this goes, but I don't know if I'm on board for more than six issues. <laughs> like, we'll see. I don't It'll know. It'll
1: depend, right? Like, I, yeah. that's what I'm, that's why I needed a little bit more of the hook, right? I needed yeah. to know, uh, first of all, I needed to know anything at all about Joan that was real. And then I well, needed don't, a little, don't start little bit more of the stuff.
0: hook. Don't start saying this no, stuff. but I, I just,
1: uh, but it's exactly what I said. You know, I'm not like, no spoilers here, but like, you don't learn anything about her. Right. And she's the only character that matters, so it seems.
0: So far. Moving to this week... It's the worst title of the week with Truve Cavolt, which is supposed to be True Cult, but they replaced the U's. You know it's not Truvu Cavolt, come on. But they replaced the U's with V's, Joe, and there's no excuse that I can possibly think of for that, other than it looks cool. (laughs) It's from IDW, it's $3.99, it's written by Scott Brian Wilson, with art by Leanna Kangas. Here's your solicit. Marty Tarantella has been flipping burgers for 15 years. He has no kids, no hobbies, no love interests, and essentially no life. But what he does have is a plan to change everything. Years of watching the daily rhythms of the neighboring stories has given Marty the idea for the perfect heist. But when he accidentally steals a supernatural weapon from a cult full of violent lunatics, the resulting satanic panic will be way above his minimum wage pay grade. Nothing can prepare you for the coming of True Cavolt, a deliciously horrifying and hilarious new series from Scott Bryan Wilson, who worked on Batman, Gotham Nights, and Pennyworth, you know, that old guy that hangs out with Batman sometimes. Pennyworth, the origin of Batman's Butler. <laughs> yes. And Liana Kangos, who worked on Star Wars Adventures, and she said, Destroy! The solicit isn't lying. Nothing could have prepared me for True Cult. That's what I will be calling it. So, and the bizarre. B- That's the name of it cut it out <laughs> and the bizarre black comedy Wilson had in store. The plot unfolds slowly with a boring metal nerd, Marty Tarantella, who goes by Tarantula for no good reason by the way, that works at a burger place, making a decision he thinks will change his life. While the heist is definitely the most interesting thing Marty's ever pulled off, and the satanic cult coming to retrieve their property is a solid setup, I found myself much more interested in the slightly off-kilter world surrounding Marty. There's an almost david lynchian weirdness to what is otherwise yeah, a very it. grounded heist story i mean grounded until the satanic cult shows up maybe but well, yeah except he's sum- <laughs> somebody he stole a record that can summon the devil <laughs> right. or whatever the entire cast has a quirkiness that made the story even stranger marty's bosses for instance just happen to be twins ronnie and johnny who married twin women oh and they live together <laughs> Also, they may be part of the satanic cult that passes out leaflets at the strip mall. There's nothing absurd going on, but as we meet each character, it's becoming clear that Marty's seemingly benign, boring existence is much stranger than both he and we thought. Leanna Kangas has an art style that felt a little too uneven to me at first, but as the story progresses, her style does work for this type of story that wants you to think it's another indie comic take on Clerks. But actually, there's a lot more going on. There were some panels where Marty's appearance changed, but that could also be due to the coloring by Gab Contreras, who's very high contrast. Or it could be something even weirder that I wasn't picking up on that is happening in one scene where Marty is interviewing a particularly strange applicant at his burger joint. I hate the title. Maybe it will make more sense as the story unfolds, but substituting V's for U's in the title isn't doing this book any favors, and I don't get it. The story, though, is just weird enough that I'm on board to see where it's going. I don't love this art style, but I also don't think Kangas is a bad artist. I'm not going to say that. I'm giving this a skim it because I want to see where this is going there's also some things that it has going against it that's what I'm, i'll leave it at that all right i'm just gonna say this once
1: and i'm never gonna address it again nobody on earth is gonna call this anything
0: but true cult Matt. i get it so, nobody thinks so why not just call it that so
1: that it looks like runic angular letters on the cover that's all you, that's could have, all. you could
0: have made True Cult look like Runic Angular Letters and just. Yes, it you could have,
1: and I don't know why. Like in all of the spelling, like people are actually spelling it that way They're because just, that's ludicrous. Yeah, just it.
0: There's no reason.
1: <laughs> so, but like, put it out of your mind. It does not matter. The name of this book is True Cult. Didn't affect story. the story. The art. I actually loved the art. Really? Um. It re- yes. It reminded me sort of uh, the artist I'm about to mention is w- way more wacky. It reminded me a bit of guys like shaky Kane, yeah who draw like super weirdos type stuff right Uh, it occupied that kind of space in my brain like outsider uh,
0: art almost kind of stuff sort
1: of yeah. yeah and so like yeah i loved the art i loved the coloring and there was kind of like a grittiness a graininess to it i agree that we don't get too much into the absurd but i don't agree that it didn't get absurd because like the idea that marty can go on lunch break for 30 minutes and rob eight stores is, is ludicrous
0: but i mean like they show uh, his timeline and he follows it I, yeah, so but yeah and, but like and then some of them are <laughs> like, all right
1: cool. they're all next door and most of them are like cool with being robbed and none of them recognize him <laughs> and like i did like the fact that like most of them didn't actually have any money because it's like we're a mattress store dude what do you expect yeah we got a, got a cat. <laughs> like the only people that had cat were, like the weed store and the, like the head shop and the <laughs> uh, right. like the genius bar the only place that had any money on them or whatever it was um but yeah i like i thought this was goofy like the, the and the whole like mysterious hot girl that comes to apply for the job just in the nick of time and provides an alibi for marty it's like Yeah, like it's all very weird genre, like kind of absurdist storytelling. Um, Like Dave Lynch, kind of like a marriage between David Lynch and Savage Steve Holland, almost right? Yeah, I suppose. And then they explode the back of the boat and there's a Ferrari engine in the back. You know, it's like, that's weird. I thought this was great. I'm giving this a buy it. I really enjoyed it. And um, yeah, I look forward to more. Again, another book, not on my radar at all
0: totally pleasant surprise this apparently was a kickstarter like more than a year ago
1: yes i think i remember i remember i definitely remember seeing it doing the rounds because i remember seeing the preview art and the logo and the cover it was a gumroad now and now
0: it's out yeah it was a gumroad book as well and now idw is putting out a physical edition like in yeah
1: right yeah so get it it's good I
0: don't know how to uh, lead into this one. I, you know what?
1: My my, I, I apologize for the confusion, but my first book for this week is actually set in the previous century. Uh, what can you do? It's Twentieth Century Men number one from Image Comics. The price is three ninety nine. It's written by Dennis Camp with art by S. Morian. We don't get to know their first name. That's fine. They can be mysterious. Here's your solicit. At the end of the 20th century, superheroes, geniuses, madmen, and activists rush towards World War III. A Soviet quote-unquote iron hero, a superpowered American president, an insane cyborg soldier, an Afghan woman hell-bent on building a better life for her people. These strange yet familiar beings collide in a story that mixes history, politics, and comic book mythology into something totally new. Welcome to 20th Century Men, where the edges of our reality and fiction touch, overlap, and then explode. 20th Century Men jumps through a myriad of conflicts throughout world history in, surprise, the 20th century. As it sets up its characters and its plot, with Morian's gorgeous art transforming from era to era, it is a beautiful issue to look at. The problem is that the story that accompanies the art is kind of a chore. Camp's script is dense, very dense, and everything is so very heavy. There's nothing at all wrong with that, if that's what you're looking for. But for me, it was a bit much the world of 20th century men is almost oppressively bleak. And I understand that that's what the writer was going for. But personally, I wish that he had spent more time on the characters than the politics in this first issue. It's a lot. And the non-linear storytelling made the plot a bit difficult to follow at times. Like I wanted to know more about the, you know, the kind of wonder woman stand in. I wanted to know we get a lot about the iron man guy and that's cool. Cause he's awesome but I wanted to know more about President Cowboy Superman or Captain America or whoever he's supposed to be. There was practically nothing about this maniac cyborg, except for like one brief, like uh, a character thinks about him. And I needed more of the characters. However, as I said before, Morian's artwork is outstanding. The way the style transforms between harsh thin lines of russian streets leached of color to expressive brush strokes depicting the lush sun-soaked jungles of vietnam is incredible and i love his design of the russian iron man analog he's almost like wearing a complete iron suit he's just like a schlubby dude with like his fleshy bits sticking out at the joints because they don't connect it's like oh man don't get shot there yeah 20th century men is a comic full of interesting potential wrapped up in a thick web of global politics and drama
0: that can be tough to cut through. I'm giving this a skim it. I think this, okay. I agree that this was dense, but at the, it's also long, which it means it long. just keeps going and going but and going. I think they're trying to establish a lot in this first issue. And I don't think dense is necessarily bad. I loved this. Personally, it, because it seems like the kind of thing that got me interested in so much stuff that I want to see where the story is going to end up. And a lot of like, it reminded me of a lot of like some of Hickman's image stuff where it starts where you are literally just overwhelmed, like East of West, for example, when that book opened, you were just like overwhelmed by the premise almost and the size of the world. That is real high praise. Well, but I'm saying like, as that book goes, you start to zoom in on parts of it and you're being introduced to the world and shown pieces. And it gets really interesting. Like when Game of Thrones first came on, it's like, who can watch this? Who can pay attention to this? There's so many people and so many families. And then like, four seasons in we're all like oh my god i totally got it this is so amazing many games, you know <laughs> so many thrones yeah no and i thought this was stunning art by the way uh, morian was an animator turned art. comic artist and mm. it shows he, like you can absolutely see like his animation aspects to everything and the way he guides you through the book it is mm-hmm. dense it is long i very much enjoyed it though i'm giving this a buy it i think this is going to be a kick-ass series when all is said and done
1: yeah like no complaints that like it's just like for me when i when i read the solicit last week and it was like yeah real world meets superheroes uh, superhero tropes that you love and i was like okay cool and instead it was this very heavy political drama that also happens to sort of have an iron man i was like whoa that's okay. all right with me it's <laughs> it's it's not what i expected going into it it wasn't what i was looking forward to i guess i should stop.
0: Deep within a bleak and dismal swamp, hidden beneath its murky waters, lies the headquarters of the most sinister villains of all time. You know, Joe Patrick, just because you're a cape Crusader doesn't mean you don't have a bad day every once in a while. And that's why we're going to talk about Batman! One Bad Day! The Riddler! From DC, it is $7.99. It was written by Tom King with art by Mitch Gerads. Here is your solicit. Dark Knight's greatest villains get their greatest stories yet. The Riddler, Two-Face, and the Penguin. Mr. Freeze, Catwoman, Bane, Clayface, and Ra's al Ghul. Batman's most iconic villains all given. 64-page prestige format specials that show why they're the greatest villains in all of comics. Spearheaded by today's top talent, we begin with Batman. One bad day. The Riddler. And here we are. Tom King and Mitch Gerads, the Eisner Award-winning <laughs> we duo. We begin here at yeah. the beginning. Behind Mr. Miracle, the Sheriff of Baghdad, and Strange Adventures reunite to dive deep into the mind of Batman's most intellectual foe, the Riddler. The Riddler has killed a man in broad daylight for seemingly no reason, but... There's always a reason. The Riddler is always playing a game. There are always rules. Batman will reach his wit's end, trying to figure out the Riddler's true motivation in this epic psychological thriller that is not to be missed. This is the first of the one bad day one shots that set up new status quos for Bat's greatest villains. While I really enjoyed Matt Reeves' version of the Riddler in the latest Batman film, I am glad that King and DC fought the urge to shove Edward Nigma into a gimp costume here, quite honestly. Yeah, no, yeah, no. <laughs> Instead, King sets up a new origin for the Riddler that, on paper, looks fairly simple. Dad was a jerk, abused his child, and child grew up to be a maniac. They can't all fall into vats of toxic waste, I guess, but I was really impressed by how well King makes Eddie's terrible youth relatable, but also doesn't make him a sympathetic villain at any point. It's not so much the new origin that explains Nygma's new status quo, but it does gently reveal how brilliant and insidious the reader is and has been slowly becoming for years now. Gerard's is incredible as usual and equally good on colors here. There's a slight green haze to the Riddler's panels. Batman of course lurks in dark blues and blacks and he creates so much tension with his visuals that it's easy to forget that there isn't a lot of action here at all. Joe and I both bagged on King's Batman run ad nauseum, but it's easy to forget that there were really good moments and ideas in his bat stories too. The Riddler chapter of one bad day is a hell of a start for these one shots. And if bats whole rogues gallery gets this treatment, he is going to be in for way more than just one bad day. This is a terrifying (laughs) new status quo for the Riddler. I'm giving it a buy it.
1: Okay. So I'm going to blow your mind here. Uh, I don't think this is in continuity. I don't know why it's not black label. Don't, yeah. Like it, I have no evidence. Like, uh, pardon me. I have no like proof. I have evidence I could point to. Um, the, uh, first of all, the fact that, um, they keep saying that the Riddler has been around for decades. No, you know, like that right off the bat, that kind of excludes it from continuity. One bad day is kind of the uh, the premise of the Joker's plan in the Killing Joke, right? And so that's kind of the premise of this is to give every uh, to give these eight characters their own versions of the Killing Joke, right? Which you know is a goal uh, to be strived for, but. The, the the idea of the one bad day is that like every man is on uh, every man is just one bad day away from becoming the Joker. Sure. And so that's why Commissioner Gordon gets tortured and his daughter gets shot and blah, 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 blah. I didn't really see that here in this the title is clever like I get it I know where it comes from I I understand the inspiration but I didn't really see that in this story like the Riddler is not trying to put Batman through one bad day he's not even trying to put Gordon through one bad day he's he's just like he's trying to prove that he's the ultimate you know smartest guy in the room in any room no matter what room he happens to be in and he's untouchable and he's a you know a criminal genius and all that and yeah, it's it. It happens. It's all there. It's beautifully illustrated. But I'm a little. There was a bit of a disconnect for me to from that to the one bad day thing. And maybe it's just a clever title. I don't know. I also am I'm kind of. I I I prefer to subscribe to the idea that not every single one of Batman's uh, enemies is a complete homicidal maniac. The only reason the Riddler got sent to Arkham and not Iron Heights or whatever he had a literal like clinical diagnosis of obsess- obsession with riddles and uh, the idea that he's just out there randomly murdering people i'm not sure if that fits in with what i want for the riddlers so there are things that i could pick at but as a story as a one off story that doesn't necessarily need to be shoved into continuity i can't disagree it's it's very well told it's beautifully drawn yeah and if this is how the rest of- if this is the quality we're going to get then the rest of these should be pretty good. I'm going to give this a buy it, even though I had my little, you know,
0: nitpicks here and there. According to Tom King on his Twitter, Riddler One Bad Day is a self-contained in continuity short graphic novel in which Mitch Gerads and I get very deep into what makes the Riddler's Batman the most frightening villain. So I Tom King can say whatever he wants. Yeah. Tom King's not in charge I mean, of DC. DC is so. going to ultimately decide what counts and what doesn't. But I think uh, yeah. these are supposed to count right now. I don't I can't prove it. We'll I don't know. See. I, like I, w- okay. I will
1: tell you like my my main evidence for the fact that this is not in continuity is the is the idea that one Gordon is still the commissioner, which he's not. And two um, the idea that the Riddler has been operating for decades is ludicrous. Yeah. And it
0: also says this arc set during early in Batman's career showcases Which, much sheer no. brilliance.
1: If it's set in the past, that kind of explains away the commissioner thing. Yeah. But it does not explain how this is a new status quo
0: for the Riddler. No, because I, I don't. I don't had disagree. we Riddler
1: stories set after this, and he's nothing like this. I don't
0: disagree. And there's definitely nothing here that made me feel like, oh, this is happening in the same Chip Zdarsky Batman, you know, it's like uh, it's library. very
1: blue sky,
0: right? Yeah, you know, it's so, very like, I don't know. evergreen. So yeah. I think DC so, and typical as they do are playing it close to the vest and going, "Yep, it's in continuity yeah, yeah, for right. now. It, it's in continuity until, it's it's not. until <laughs> it doesn't.
1: Yeah, until yeah. it can't be." Yeah. So, um, it, it, I guess my recommendation is this: um, it's a good read. It's a tough read. It's really pretty to read. But don't think too much about how it fits or if it fits or if it needs to fit because yeah. it doesn't matter.
0: Just enjoy it as a good Batman. Enjoy it, for, enjoy it for the standalone graphic novel that Tom King says it is. There he, he doesn't say standalone, though. He says it's in continuity. <laughs> That's it. Well, he does. But he says standalone. He says standalone. Standalone graphic novel in continuity is what he yes, says. Yes, I know. I'm t- <laughs> I chose to ignore that part of the, the Yeah, I guess. Let's get to something we can all agree on. Death to the mutants. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say, speaking
1: of a bad day, uh yes, Matt is of course referring to AXE, Death to the Mutants, number axe. one. It's Axe. Let's call we it. Calling it, what it is. We're calling it Axe. Axe <laughs> Axe, Death to the Mutants. It's Marvel Comics, it's three ninety nine, which you know what? I I almost thought it was a typo, because the fact that this came out and was not four ninety nine just breaks my brain. There you go. It's written by Kieran Gillen with art by
0: Guiu Villanova. I'm real sorry. Courtesy of howtopronouncenames.com. Gui. 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 It's like Guy, but it's French. Gui. There you go. Gui. It's not Guiu. (laughs) Gui. Gui. Here's your solicit The mutants are deviants. Eternals are coded to
1: correct excess deviation. The mutants are eternal. Mars colonizers ever spreading. Eternals know what they should do. Our heroes don't want to, but can they resist the murderous designs coded into their body as surely as any sentinel? And if they can't, can anyone survive the coming judgment? death to the mutants gives a closer look at the events happening between the moments shown in the main series offering additional insight into the main players motivations and their master plans including the heroic eternals and the avengers plan to create a new celestial god within the corpse of the dead one that they are currently living in this issue puts the focus on the eternals part of the larger story which doesn't inspire too much confidence Regular listeners will recall that we were not too fond of the most recent Eternal Saga, despite the work of a stellar creative team. But this issue does keep things moving at a brisk pace and offers a fun twist on the ultimatum that the newborn Celestial gives the people of Earth. Turns out the Eternals got a different one. (laughs) The art by Gui Villanova is unfortunately not great. (laughs) I'm real sorry I worked so hard to get that right, only to trash the art. Uh, it attempts an ink-heavy style, kind of in the vein of your early Becky Cloonan's or your Paul Popes. Reminding me of Igor it, Corday. Remember
0: that dude?
1: Igor Corday,
0: yeah, Remind Igor Remind Corday. Reminded him.
1: Um, but it comes off as sloppy and unfinished and not in an intentional way. Death to the Mutants has an interesting purpose that could have potential, but some dodgy art and a focus on the less compelling aspects of the crossover make the first
0: issue difficult to recommend wholeheartedly, I still liked it, but I'm giving it a It. Yeah. This whole crossover is in an interesting place because we both agreed. And a lot of our listeners agreed too. We talked about it. Like we just don't find the Eternals that interesting. And the more we get closer to the Eternals in the crossover, the more I kind of go, ah, let's just go back to everybody fighting. You know? <laughs> and I felt like this <laughs> yeah. spent a little too much time with the Eternals trying to sell me, on the fact that, like, well, some of them want to kill all the mutants and some don't. Like, I get it. Great. And, yeah, the art, it, it's a choice. Like, I don't think he's bad. I just don't think this is what this artist should be doing. You know? Like, it, it seems like. I, I, no,
1: I, I think, personally speaking, I do not care for this art. Like, I, this, I am not fond of this. Fair one.
0: enough. I feel like he could be much better at other things. Like, perhaps if he was doing a cop story or a crime noir type thing, <laughs> it might work more. But it doesn't look great he looks a little lost doing it with superheroes. So I'm giving it a skim in it as well. And there's enough going on in this storyline that I don't know why we really needed this aside. You know what I mean? Like a, nothing, I, I guess aside from the fact that like, yeah, you, you mentioned we get to see what like the celestial had in mind and that's a little different, but you could do that in one page of any of these books, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's true. It's, like- I mean, Marvel, will never sure. I mean resist, it, they'll they'll never turn down an opportunity to turn the camera forty five degrees to the left to sure. Now how about these people?
0: And this you feels know? like the first cash grab of this crossover so far. Oh
1: yeah, of axe. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Skim it for 100%. me.
0: Do you need more THN comic reviews? Of course you do check out our ludicrous speed reviews that we post every once in a great while over to at Twitter nerd.com if you want to know more about these comics the ones we were just talking about you can check out our show notes where you're going to find links with more info and of course we want you to hit us up on our discord to give us your thoughts on these books Joe before we move on we need to pick one of these comics that's going to enter the THN private collection forever and ever what was the best book you read in this pile Parker Girls. Parker Girls number one. I would like... Sorry.
1: Like, One Bad Day was was neat. I liked it. Love Everlasting. I liked it. You know, like, there are good books this week. Um, But for me, I will always choose Terry Moore, like... Terry Moore stands above to me most yeah, of
0: the time. I, you know, I really like Terry Moore, and I really liked Parker Girls. I think Twentieth Century Men has got me kind of hooked, though. I need really. To I, I am goes. stunned because I thought it was a slog. Man, I see. I liked it, but I like kind of that sort of long form, heavy storytelling. So I, I just really want to see where it goes. Yeah, and I, would I call love it almost this art. Do, do, Dostoevsky. Dostoevsky. we learn how to say his name, and then we can do that. Dostoevsky. I know how to say his name. I was trying to make a joke out of it.
1: With our new comics reviewed, it's time to retire to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where our arcane library and collection of eldritch artifacts helps us to make our must-read picks for next Wednesday, August 24th. I'm not sure why I went from normal speaking voice to I am Banshee member of the (laughs) X-Men. Matt, remember last week when we talked about Metron's Warlogog?
0: vaguely, but I may have cut that from the show, so this this might not make any sense at all. (laughs) All Well, I got us one, and it's going to transport us to next week
1: so we can browse the new comic shelves. You see anything these listeners uh, might need to
0: read? I think that they should definitely go check out Tales of the Human Target. The one shot from DC it's 599 is written by Tom King we were just talking about him and it's drawn by Greg Smallwood Kevin Maguire Raphael Albuquerque, and Michael Janin here's your solicit Building on the most critically acclaimed series of the year, Tom King and four of comics' top artists tell the tales of what happened before Chance drank Luther's poison. Chance teams up with a fan favorite member of the JLI in four connecting mysteries that lead them to the fateful day when one of them will kill the human target. So, this is going to whet your appetite after issue six just came out because. The miniseries is now going on a quote several month hiatus for some reason. Well, yeah,
1: I mean it's been a it's been at least a month since the last issue came out, and and so it's not going to be back till
0: the fall. Well, it was just like two weeks ago. That because remember we made the joke about Guy Gardner dying. No, it's it's been a
1: we we made a joke about Guy Gardner dying, but no, that issue came out quite some time ago. It's been at
0: least a month, I would say. Was it really? More than a month. Mm-hmm. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Okay. Yep. It, it is currently on hiatus. Yeah. I. Why? We don't know. But it is excellent. Uh, I love this character. I love all these artists. And this is what we both agree Tom King should be doing. Stories like this. Love it.
1: Yeah. I mean, the, Tom King basically said, like, when you're dealing with a story like this with Greg Smallwood doing the things that he's doing in this comic, If you need to stop and make sure that Greg Smallwood has all the time to do all the things that he can do, you take it. I get it. And so they took a pause in between the first act and the second act, and we're going to get, you know, our, you know what, I I know they're just going to come back and call it season two, which makes no
0: sense. Probably.
1: But, yeah, uh, take all the time you need. Let Smallwood be
0: Smallwood. If it was good enough for Civil War in 2007, it's good enough for the Human Target. Man, Human Target number six was originally supposed to hit shelves on March 22nd. The book is not timely. No, let's, uh, we'll, we'll say <laughs> no, it is not. So maybe they're giving them uh, a hiatus to finish the whole damn thing, so they can be like, uh, well, now yeah, it's that's what I think. Out. I think they yeah.
1: I think it's so that the last half can come out, there yeah, and, and in a normal fashion. My pick for next week is damage control number one from Marvel. It's $399. It's written by Adam Goldberg and Hans Rodenoff. It's got art by Will Robson. I think that Jay get might just be a cover. Um, because, well, you'll see why. Maybe. Here's just solicit. From the creator of TVs, the Goldbergs, Marvel's unsung heroes finally get sung. After the mega-powered battles and Hulk-level catastrophes, Damage Control is always there to clean up the mess and get things back to normal. But Damage Control is much more than just a glorified cleanup crew, and this new series will pull back the curtain and reveal the secret inner workings that were previously only available to people with clearance level 8, and we will witness it all through the eyes of Gus, a fresh-faced, eager newcomer to the company who has no idea how chaotic his life is about to become. Adam Goldberg and Hans enough team up with Will Robson, he's the only artist named, okay. to take you into the secret labyrinth of damage control, where it's totally common to run into familiar faces like Moon Knight, Nightcrawler, She Hulk, and more. A second story by damage control creator Dwayne McDuffie's McSpouse, Charlotte Fullerton, as the damage control crew must clean up after the Infinity Gauntlet. So here's my theory the former Mrs. McDuffie. Charlotte Fullerton is writing this second story drawn by Jay Foskett. Probably. They just don't mention him by name. Probably. I love damage control. Love. It is like one of those simple, dumb ideas in the background of a comic book universe. You don't need to know. Like, you don't actually need to know who cleans up after the Avengers fight uh, Atuma. Or when Galactus shows up. Like... It's just things get fixed. Who cleans off all of Spider-Man's webbing? Do they really wait an hour? Who knows? What happens when Iceman slides melt all over Manhattan? You know, like you got to have a crew for this stuff. Sure. Damage control. I love it. Um, I'm glad to have them back. I am tickled pink to see that Dwayne McDuffie's uh, wife is drawing uh, or writing a a story. That is so cool. Yeah. Um, I did not know that that was happening. Um, Give me more damage control. I love them. Absolutely my
0: pick of the week. The THN trade of the week for next week goes to Regarding the Matter of Oswald's Body from Boom Studios. It's seventeen ninety nine. It's written by Christopher Cantwell with art by Luca Casalanguida. Here's your solicit. Where is Lee Harvey Oswald's body? The Kennedy assassination is a rat's nest of conspiracy theories, mafia involvement, a second gunman, a government cover-up, but the most important one may just be the idea that the body in Oswald's grave is not actually... Lee Harvey Oswald meet the ragtag group of quote useful idiots unwittingly brought together to clean up the crime of the century a wannabe cowboy from Wisconsin a buddy holly idolizing former car thief a world weary civil rights activist ready for revolution and a failed g-man who still acts the part Eisner Award Nominated writer Producer and director Christopher Cantwell Who worked on Iron Man The United States Of Captain America And artist Luca Casalinguida Who worked on Lost Soldiers And Scouts Honor Deliver an off-kilter Crime thriller Set in the shadows Of history's Greatest conspiracy This collects issues One through five We reviewed number one Very much enjoyed it I immediately Stopped reading it Which Yeah same But I did so Because it's one Of those books Where I want to sit down And read the whole Damn thing and I don't mean to punish a book and say I'm waiting for the trade, but this is how Cantwell writes. And he's really, really good at it. And I guarantee this is a TV show in no time. It's just made for Hollywood. And you can see Cantwell working. lovable group of losers who are sent to fall on the knife and make a crime look even worse than it was. So everyone is distracted from the real thing that went down. Love it. Cannot wait to read this. Same here. Yeah, I'm. I'm, I'm very excited about it. You can find links with more info on our picks in our show notes, and we always post our must-read picks on our Discord, Twitters, and Facebook every Wednesday, so you can make an informed buying decision at your local comic book store. But let us know what you thought of our picks, okay? You can do that over at Discord. Did we get this right? Were you hoping one of us would pick something a little more, I don't know, chesty, like Dejah Thoris, fairy tales? There's like 15 covers, and it's all boobs, baby. That's, nah, that's
1: that's my that's my <laughs> NFT pick of the week. Oh, I, I see. only
0: I only get that one in NFT. Oh, okay, and you got to buy NFT to get your NFT pick of the week, right? It's the whole thing.
1: Yeah, right. It's yeah. like you have to pay in to pay out, sure. you know, get paid. You know, cost what of saying?
0: entry. I get it. I'm your
1: before we get out of here, it's time for a sneak peek of our Patreon extra. When you support THN on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month, you get access to all kinds of extra content like our Comic pusher segment, where this week we're getting you prepped for the new She-Hulk show with our choice of essential She-Hulk reads. Welcome to another edition of the Comic Pushers, where we choose some highly addictive comic reads that will have you calling us at all hours of the night, I'm begging for more. Today, the Comic Pushers are training their sights on Marvel's Jade Giantess, the She-Hulk, just in time for Shulky to make her TV debut tomorrow, as a matter of fact, or as you're hearing this, today. Oh, sorry yeah, I would say, that, went, yeah. that, that ran right into another just
0: sentence. go ahead just in time for you yeah i got it yeah no i got it
1: just in time for shulky to make her tv debut we decided to set you up with our essential she-hulk reading so you can sound informed when fighting the incels online and trust me
0: they'll be there they're already out
1: before we, i'm sure <laughs> but as though she Hulk has not been around for 50 years before we get into our picks though let's start at the beginning
0: I prepared a little brief history of She-Hulk to let you know where the character comes from. This is not me coming out and saying, I definitely think you should read this. Because to be perfectly honest, the first appearance of She-Hulk was um, just a female Hulk, <laughs> quite honestly. <laughs> She-Hulk was created by Stan Lee and John Buscema. Her first appearance was Savage She-Hulk number one. This was back in 1979. Now, the story goes... That Stan rushed to get a She-Hulk, a full-on She-Hulk comic out to prevent Universal from using a She-Hulk character in their Incredible Hulk TV show without paying Marvel a licensing fee. It was the way that they had licensed for television. They didn't realize, like, they're going to do this. Now, normally, normally Marvel would premiere a new character in the pages of another book, like Marvel 2-in-1 or Marvel Presents. Or Marvel team up, where like, ah, we don't know if this character's any good. Let's team him up with Spider-Man and see if he catches on. And then boom, they'll get their own book. Not She-Hulk. She-Hulk got her own book right away. And uh, you know, Stan and John didn't stick around for any more than issue number one. <laughs> In issue number one, we meet Jennifer Sue Walters. She was born in Los Angeles, California, to Sheriff Morris Walters and Elaine Banner Walters. You hear that banner in there? That's right. She is the cousin of Bruce Banner. Jen would spend hours in the public library reading books with Bruce and sometimes even hiding at closing time to spend the night there in order to help Bruce escape from his father's abuse. Later on, Jen becomes a lawyer and she's building a case against a mobster named Nicholas Trask who had killed her mother years ago, which kind of seems like uh, maybe you should remove yourself from this case. Like, it could be, (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. What do they call that when you have like interest in the case? Conflict of interest. Thank you. A serious personal conflict of interest. Now, while building her case, her cousin Bruce comes to visit and reveals He's the Hulk. Jen then gets shot by Trask flunkies in her driveway while taking Bruce to her place. Bruce fights off the intruders with a hose. He doesn't want to Hulk out because he's afraid he won't be able to help Jen, right? Instead, he sprays a guy and then the guy runs away. After that, he breaks into a doctor's house and gives Jen a blood transfusion, passing the gamma radiation onto her. And She-Hulk is born! This all happens in the pages of She-Hulk number one and two. It's not the best setup, honestly. The first issue of Savage She-Hulk is the only issue that Stan and John work on. From there, David Kraft takes over the rest of the series And it's fine. It's really just a bunch of incredible Hulk stories with a female lead. Excelsior! That is it for THN 675 next week. It is time for more back-issue discussion when the Cosmic Long Box returns. If you want to rap about this week's episode, comics you're reading, or any of the weekly nerdy news that we are following, hit us up on our live call-in show, THN Cover to Cover. We do it every Saturday. Not this Saturday, though, at 11 Central Time. You can watch the broadcast- We do it most Saturdays. We do it most Saturdays. We should probably stop saying every Saturday. It's true. You can watch the broadcast live on our Facebook page, but- if you want to play along, you got to join our Discord so you can learn how to chat with us or actually be on the show live. And we set you up with something to talk about, too. We call it our question of the week. Joey, what do we got? I got one. Uh, Wooly Toots
1: suggested a uh, a theme for the Cosmic Long Box. I'm very excited about it. Okay. <laughs> uh, so I'll run that past you when we're done. Okay. These guys can wait with bated breath. This week's question, however, is courtesy of Mark Stern via Discord. We'll be mentioning Mark Stern a little bit later. I have a random question that came to mind when I was laughing and thinking about what would happen if Dr. Doom tried fighting Magneto. Crunch. Especially. Uh, well, no. No. We'd already been over this. More Doom than crunch. Track. Yeah. Yeah. Especially given what happened in that trial by combat scene in X-Men Red number three, uh, suffice it to say, Magneto is not somebody to be trifled with. <laughs> What are the most lopsided matchups that you have seen in comics? So what is the most lopsided fight you've seen in a comic? And did that fight end the way you were expecting? Pretty easy. I love it. Uh, Please keep your suggestion of the week. uh, Suggestion of the week. Please keep your question of the week suggestions coming. You can send those to me uh, on the Discord, over Twitter, Facebook, email. You can even call the THN hotline, which I'm about to mention. Yeah. If you can't make it to cover to cover live, shoot a name, mp3 to headed nerd at gmail.com with your answer, or leave a message on the THN hotline 402-819-4894 is that number. You will be internet famous if you call and leave a message. We will not we will leave no caller behind. If you can't be there live, that's fine. You're still part of the show. Just remember, you're less a part of the show than the people that call in live because we need you to keep your answers short. That's right. We got to share the air. We got a lot of peeps that want to talk. So if you're sending in and recording, keep it on the short
0: side. It pays to be on time. Show up. Showing up is half the battle, right? If you're new to this show and you need a several-month hiatus after listening to this episode, I assure you it's only because you haven't heard enough. The good news is you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital longbox archive at twoheadednerd.com. THN is a listener-supported podcast. It would not be possible without the generosity of donors like the aforementioned Mark Stern. If you like what you hear every week, it's easy to support the show. You can sign up to be a patron at patreon.com backslash two-headed nerd. Mark Stern just did just that, and he just upped his pledge. He upped his donation, From yeah. $2 a month to $200 a month. I think that's I mean, 100%. we don't even have a... We don't even have a tier for
1: that. I think that
0: Crazy. at $200 a month we just give him the control to the show. Yeah, I think we I think he gets to take over now.
1: Before we go, our weekly shout out goes to Ryan North, a creator of Dr. McNinja. Yes, Dr. McNinja is certainly something he's known for, but he's probably <laughs> most famous for Dinosaur Comics. Sure. And for being the writer of Marvel's Unbeatable Squirrel Girl, North got his start working on the Adventure Time. North got his start in comic books, writing uh, the Adventure Time comic book adaptation. And now he's been announced as the new writer of the monthly Fantastic Four. Just goes to show, all you have to do to get your big Marvel break is win an Eisner, writing a kid's cartoon adaptation, uh, and already be a very famous web cartoonist. (laughs) and you could get the keys to the baxter building next easy peasy i don't know
0: why everybody complains about this until next yeah. time true believers remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might just out your proclivity for anthropomorphic animal hookers disgusting i mean unless that's your thing no judgment no king shame no, it's disgusting it's disgusting and probably illegal this is the two-headed nerd signing off